Hear you coming through loud and clear, good buddy. All right then, ten four. <sighs> Cracking a beverage. Yep, bought myself a tall can. Tall can to podcast. I figured I'd, I'd step away from why buy multiple beers when I can just get the same amount of beer in one convenient can. I feel like the tall can is. Just an invitation to think about how much liquid is actually pounding against the wall on your bladder in an hour. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that's why I have a garbage can here next to my feet. And... You were hurting last week by the end. Oh, yeah. This time I can I can just pee in the garbage can while we record. Yeah, well, maybe we should get some uh, official random badassery catheters. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our first branding. <laughs> you seen those catheter commercials? Uh, I think so. It's been a while. I don't see many commercials, so yeah. There's one where um, it's like a you know catheter by mail commercial, uh-huh. and uh, you know they interview you know actual users, and you have like this <laughs> older pilot guy that flies this little tiny stunt pilot, and he's just talking about these great catheters, and I probably and he just says catheter like far too many times, and you know it's like a directive to be like, you know, really got ingrained, you know, it's got to, you got to sell the point that this Make is sure about. you say Coca-Cola. You got to say catheter, say catheter, catheter, catheter. And he just says it. Oh, and you're like, all right, man, I get clean cath one. Um, God, I, it's on the tip of my tongue. I was like, that sounds like clean cath. There's one I think called clean cath. And I'm like, that sounds like a nickname for a woman who doesn't like dust. You know, uh, clean cath. Yeah. Clean Kathy. She's, she's obsessive compulsive clean cath. <laughs> I'd like to buy one of her. There it is. It is Liberator Medical Catheter Commercial. Liberator. Liberator That's Liberator Medical. Name for yeah. something that you shove in your pee hole. Well, it, it gives you the feeling of just being liberated from the <laughs> evil clutches of shitty catheters, apparently. I don't know that anybody has ever felt liberated by something being shoved in their urethra. Well, that's the, that's just me. That's their whole, you know, that's their whole mission statement is comfort, freedom. You know, they're portable. You can, this guy keeps them in his little plane, you know, he's got extra ones in his bag. He can do it while he's in the air. It's great. I can only laugh so much. My, my dad uses one, so maybe not a liberator. Well, hey, he maybe he needs to know about these. Maybe this will change his life. Well, what's funny about it is uh, a little, <laughs> little tiny bit of, of family history that no one ever wanted to know. You know, when I would go out drinking, I would pee all the time. You know, normal people pee a lot when they drink. You're supposed to because you know you're drinking a diuretic. Makes sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, but me, a lot, and. Then it started as I started getting older. It started happening during the night, mm. and as I've as I don't drink anymore, it's been like I think like almost three years, two years, three years. Uh, since then, different, healthier bladder. But uh, in case anybody cared, <laughs> everybody cares. But there was a point in time where I was like, "Man, this is so weird." 
And I had a conversation. My dad came to visit and had a conversation with him. I'm like, a strange question to you. Do you have, is your bladder like the size of like your thumbnail? <laughs> it's like the smallest thing ever. I don't know what size a normal bladder is, but I assume that's small. And he's like, yes. Actually, he didn't answer. My stepmother answered and she says, yes. <laughs> in other words, he probably wakes her up in the middle of the night all the time. So uh, when I heard that he got one of those, I was like, good for you. Because it is a pain in the ass when you have to go that much. Especially as you get older, you know, you don't want to get up as much because your hips are probably sore and mm-hmm. he's in his 70s. So, yeah. you know, I I think about it and it might be because I did, you know, I didn't really start drinking, you know, I've never been an alcohol, like hard alcohol person. Um, I've, you know, touched on it here and there, you know, over my years, but it was never really something I enjoyed so much. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to get a whiskey or I'm going to go grab a bottle and go home. Um, but even my beer is always, if I was going to drink something, it'd be beer. And even before I started working in the, you know, the, the beer industry, I didn't really drink that much. So it's only been really like two and a half years, maybe almost three years that I've actually like kind of, considered myself a beer drinker and like actually drinking and you know what I should have done when I was 21 you know drinking a lot going out to bars hanging out um actually kind of getting drunk uh more than I should having like severe hangovers and that kind of shit um it didn't really happen for me until like about two years ago when I started working um downtown and it was almost like the same time for me with beer I was almost always liquor when I drank. I I did drink liquor, but me and beer were never friends. And then one day, I think it was pale ales. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'm in. And apparently that was what (laughs) put me out for good. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it was, for me, it was like going and like me and Drew, um, Drew Roulette, we'd go out and get sour beers. He introduced me to sour beers. Oh, those are my favorites. Yeah. So that kind of got me hooked on the, like the beer and the craft beer. But before that, it was like what I'm drinking now, a Negro Modelo. Or a Guinness or a Budweiser because that was my grandpa's beer. Oh man, oh. Guinness were so they're so light and so heavy at the same I time. Know. So delicious. There's a weird weird dehydration that happens with the Guinness. I had I have found that if I do a lot of a Guinness in a in a night of drinking and then couple it with anything else like any other type of beer, the next day I I feel like shit. But if I only have Guinness, I don't feel like shit. I don't know. I don't know what it is. If, but. I wonder if the the weird effects of Guinness like. How it affects you, it affects me differently. Even if, if I just drank Guinness for a day, I would feel awful. I feel like, you know that feeling when you drink too much wine? People are like, oh, wine hangover is the worst. Yeah, Guinness is kind of up there with it. And I wonder if it has something to do with the, with the nitrogen. Because you know, they don't use carbonated. They don't use carbonation. Right. Um, it's possible. Um, also, too, everybody's system reacts differently to... Um, you know, different types of barleys, um, hops, hop oh, yeah, oil, extract. Sure. Uh, That's why I couldn't drink like Negro Modelo's like you mentioned. Yeah. They make me sick as a dog. Yeah. Um, but was, what I was getting at was I, you know, just recently kind of got into... And if, when I did drink before, it was very... It just I didn't enjoy getting drunk. And I always, especially when I'd go out with my friends... I enjoyed myself more being sober because I kind of already felt like I was weird enough. I didn't really need to be... I got drunk. <laughs> I was just going to get tired. I want to go to sleep. Right. And, you know, I also, too, I like being able to drive. I like being able to be in control of when and, you know, 
where I can go, when I can leave, where I can go. Um, if I'm not feeling something or feeling interaction or feeling a, a certain place, I don't want to be relying on someone else to get me out of there. So also too, wanted to make sure that all my friends, you know, it worked out like, well, cool. I'm not going to be drinking because it's not really my thing. I'm just going to be hanging out and having fun. It's possible to have fun and hang out with your friends and be sober. Um, also too, it was like, cool guys, you don't have to worry about it. I'll drive. And I didn't mind. Um, but when but I did, you're at the mercy of them too. Like they're like, no, we're having fun. No, at that point you're just like, Hey man, fuck yourself. I'm your ride. You don't <laughs> want to be more. Oh, your ride's leaving. You don't want to leave. All right. That's on you. I used to do uh, that to Carlos all the time. It was like an unspoken rule. We would go out and then at a certain point I'd be like, I'm done. He's like, ah, he's like talking to some random girl. I'm like, see ya later. <laughs> Have fun yeah. in your taxi. Nine out of 10 times. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> Nine out of 10 yeah. times. I'd be like, bye. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll buy into that. And it was I'll a good, but with that being said, so I did notice within these last two years that I started to worry because I wasn't really making a connection between the two. I was starting to worry that I had like a bladder issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because for people who don't aren't aware of this, uh, the diuretic of the alcohol will eventually it, it weakens your bladder. Yeah, so I was starting to get like like I'd go, you know, take a piss, and I'll you know I don't think anybody ever actually fully like feels like they've entirely emptied their bladder. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and I've always kind of had that feeling like, oh, I feel like there's more in there, but that's good enough. I'm not going to drip dry. <laughs> yeah, no, we're good. Um, good but this was, this was getting a little bit too much. Like it was like, I would literally, I'd be like, God, I fucking got to pee. If you got to pee, I'd go to the bathroom, I'd pee. And then I'd be like, am I done? Okay, nothing else coming out. And I would go and I would like sit down and then literally like two minutes later, be like, oh, get back up, go to the bathroom again. It's yep. like, fuck is happening to me because your your body's still processing it so it knows it's coming exactly. it's just not there to come out oh man exactly. that happens to me not so much anymore but for a long time it would happen to me without alcohol just yeah. going to bed mm. go to bed i pee and then i'd lay down and the moment i laid down i was like mm, i have to pee and <laughs> get back up and be like and not tinkle full yeah. stream yeah just opening saint austin powers i think that was just complete. working the damage from the alcohol out of my system. That's probably why it doesn't happen so much anymore. Well, I feel it too. Like what would like make it even would compound the issue and make it worse is I was also then trying to add in equal to a little bit more amounts of water to help keep myself hydrated because mm -hmm. drinking only, I mean, cause I, you know, I would drink a lot of liquids before, you know, that was the other thing is why I didn't drink. I, I would drink way too much like soda, like in, in Coca-Cola. I would drink way oh, too much yeah. of that shit. So that was my drink of choice when I was, you know, a teenager into my twenties because I was weird. It was like, I don't want alcohol. I want something that I can fucking drink and that tastes good. Um, I didn't really develop a taste for, you know, beer and alcohol in the same way that I did for like, you know, sweet tea and fucking Arnold Palmer's and fucking, uh, uh, you know, soda. So I drank that shit a lot, but then I just like, well, I need to, you know, you drink too much of that. And of course you're going to have fucking, you know, rock candy in your fucking kidneys. Mm, yeah, diabetes train. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want that. I'm going to fucking try to drink more water. But then it's like, also like, well, now I found myself for this new friend beer. Um, I'm drinking a lot of this. So I'm trying to like, you know, balance it all. So I'm just literally just throwing all of these things into my body. Two of the three things that will make you piss the most. Right. And I'm like, coffee being the third. 
and then I drank a fuck ton of coffee. I was <laughs> so, and that was what's happening over the like in the past year is I was drinking a shit ton more coffee because at my new job we have a little a Keurig literally next to like where I sit. So it's, I'm just making and you don't realize how much coffee you drink because until like until you kind of take a step back because if you have the ability to sit there and just make it and it's like cup after cup after cup after cup mm-hmm. and also too I'm drinking my grandfather faster. used to make a pot every morning and drink the whole fucking thing. Dude, and so I'm drinking like, and also I'm trying to drink it quick because before I got like a um, a pretty nice um, like thermos type uh, travel mug that keeps the shit hot all fucking day. Oh yeah, like have, so I can have one thing of coffee all day because I realized I was drinking so much coffee because I was trying to drink it fast before it got cold, mm. and then by the time I was done, I was like, "Well, gotta make another one." And that's why they call you the urinator. Dude, and I was I was almost like I gotta go to the doctor because I think there's something wrong with me. And I'm like, no, I need to I need to I need to step it back. I need to like I cut down so once I got I went to uh one of the greatest coffee places in the world, Phil's Coffee. Um and I got Phil's one of their up. one of their branded um like travel mugs with a little screw on top and the little latch open mouthpiece. It was great. And I tripped the fuck out because the first day I had it, I filled it up and I was like you know, hot coffee, put it in there, got to work. It was still, I couldn't like, it was undrinkable for like a good fucking 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. It stays blistering. Dude. And then I like, obviously it was taking like just little sips by little sips. And then I didn't realize it until it was like the end of the day and I'm still drinking it. And all of a sudden I step out and I'm like, wait, it's like five thirty, <laughs> and this shit is still like, warm like if i, I open up the cap there'd be a touch of steam that would come out you know is it like, 12 12 hours on heat and 24 hours for cold in those things or do i have it reversed uh, that sounds about right to me that okay. that makes that feels right to what I, my experience is because if i filled it in you know if i'm on my way to work and i fill it up at say like 9 45 or 9 30 and i'm off work at seven at seven o'clock if i didn't drink at all the warmth of the fucking coffee that's in that mug at seven o'clock is the equivalent of what just a normal like paper to go cup of coffee from Starbucks or wherever, or just coffee in a mug, how warm it would be five minutes after you make the coffee. Like that's, five minutes after you spill the McDonald's on your crotch. Exactly. And then sue them and be rich forever. Um, so yeah. So that once I got that, I realized I wasn't drinking as much coffee and I wasn't fucking pissing as much. You know what I want to get? I want to get one of these Larks. L-A-R-Q. Have you seen this? Is it like a... Is it like a Shiwi or something? It's the exact thing we're talking about, except the lid has an infrared light on it. Mm. So that when you open it up, it doesn't smell like a dead body (laughs) from all the bacteria. So it literally pulses ultraviolet light through the continually killing bacteria inside the bottle. So it's technically a self-cleaning thermos. Fascinating. I'm like, if I'm going to buy one, I'm going to buy that one. Because, you know, like if anybody out there has had retainers, um, mouthpieces, if you played uh, football or boxing, there's that smell. (laughs) That that funky, funky smell of, oh, or if you've used a water bottle or a thermos three days in a row without watching it. Mm. (laughs) It's just awful. And that's all stuff going in our mouths. What I've found with this one is what gets to me is the the, the cap. You know, mm-hmm. like you can 
you can you have to hand wash the actual container part, but that the head, you know, the 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 cap and mouthpiece, um, you can throw in the dishwasher, right? Hand washing it for the first bit, and I realized that after you know a good fucking month of using it, it just always kind of smells and tastes like burnt coffee. Because mm, it's like, not bad. It just gets in there and like stains into it. Yeah. So now it's, all of the coffee oil, probably. Yeah. So no matter what coffee you're now getting, unless you're like, I got to figure out a way to like super, you know, kind of deep clean it. Everything just tastes like three day old fucking coffee. When I used to drink coffee, I would always forget. I do this with teas though. I'll make it and I'll put it down. I'm like too hot right now, and I'll do something, and then 20 minutes later. I was like, oh, yeah, I made that sometimes an hour later. So mm. I just really got acclimated to room temperature beverages. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't, you know, I'm not going to drink it. It's like if I get to end of the day and I, you know, I've left the cap off and it's just kind of cool coffee, I'm like, oh, cool. It's now it's if I would have had an iced coffee, <laughs> yeah, if it was, if, it's an, if I would have had an iced coffee and the ice melted and it's been sitting out, it's the same thing. Cool, cold coffee. It's the transition stage of coffee. Yeah, it's still drink. It's drinkable on both ends. Yeah, it's the middle road. We all like the middle road. It's all mental. <laughs> uh, speaking of all mental, we should we should go into our questions. Uh, before we do something, Lamb suggested that we do in the last episode. Mm. Hey, all of you might not make it to the end of the episode. So if you're still here right now, what are we? Ten minutes, fifteen minutes into this episode. Yeah, something like that. And you guys come back, you listen to, I don't know, maybe half the episodes we put out or more. Please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. That's it. I'm not going to go on a long spiel. (laughs) Just click the button, go in, type something up, give us some stars, please. Okay. Um, Let's start. Whoa, excuse me. There it is. That was a good one. I liked it. Now we can start. Um, Let's start with mine because I feel like. The one that I asked you uh, will go into a long tail. longer. I mean, <laughs> I got some points on that shit. I have a feeling. <laughs> it was kind of a loaded question to begin with. I could tell. <laughs> it's like buying somebody a bowling ball that doesn't bowl. <laughs> We're going to go bowling together. No. All right. Well, it's more for me. I'll end up using Can I borrow that bowling ball again? <laughs> um, so your question to me was, would I want to be in a... Uh, a well-known, famous band as a useless member, just to be in a big, well-known, famous band. If I was, right. and to clarify, useless member for everybody who didn't listen last time. Mm, triangle player, yeah, dancer in the mighty like, mighty boss tones. Like you're not really doing anything of like you're not contributing to the creative, you know, uh, part of it. You're not expressing an art form. You're just kind of. Playing the egg shell, you know the little shakers. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> you're famous for no fucking reason, and you're no, famous because you were friends with everybody, and they're like, "Hey, we like having you yeah. around." Just stay yeah, around. we just need we just need bodies. We just need more people on stage to look bigger, you know. But so, yeah, no, I would not want to do that because I don't. My interest in playing music and performing and being in a band and all of that has nothing to do with you know, the end goal is not just to be big and famous and everybody know my name and know my face. I don't give a shit about that. What I care about is being able to, like, I just want to play my guitar. I just want to make music and have it touch 
however many people it's going to touch. If it's if I'm you know well known amongst only like three hundred people, then that's cool. If I'm only well known amongst two people, that's fucking great. I just want to be able to feel like what I'm doing artistically, creatively, musically is you know true to me and is uh, is genuine, not just hey, I just want to be popular. I don't give a fuck about that. I don't and want to. And to stipulate for everybody else as well, one of the other terms I gave him was that he probably didn't get paid very well as well. So if you're thinking like, just do it for the money, I, re- I recovered that. I recovered that. Yeah. Because yeah. I think the obvious answer is if you made a lot of money from it, fuck yes, you would do it because then you could take all of that money and then make all the stuff that you really want with the money you got playing triangle for, you know, one republic. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that good? I thought of a, a, a sure. fairly new artist. <laughs> they're still I, on the charts, right? They still make music, don't they? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they're working with Timbaland somewhere. Uh, okay. Um, my question was, how do I feel about loud eaters? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not... I, I This is... this is Yeah, this, this one's going to go a little while. We're going to have to pay attention to the clock on this one. <laughs> I I can't stand it. Um, uh, yes, that's why we are friends. There's certain foods like chips, mm. um, carrots, <laughs> granola. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a friend of ours who I will not name in this and embarrass was a very loud chip eater. And we mm. shared, we cohabitated for a period of time. We were temporary roommates <laughs> and I have to leave the room <laughs> because this person ate chips every day. Mm-hmm. Pretty much well, not every day. That sounds, that's what I mean, but a lot. Mm-hmm. Ate chips a lot. And I, I would have to leave the room. And then one time, <laughs> I'm not talking about this person behind their back because one time I tried to tweet about this person behind their back because I just needed to express my frustration at the chip right. sound. Right. And it just happened to be the day in <laughs> six months he hadn't been on Twitter. <laughs> he goes on that day and sees it and replies, Hey, <laughs> mind you, we're across the couch from each other. <laughs> and I just had to own up. And I'm like, it's true. Like, yeah, man. <laughs> Sorry. I figured you needed to know. But yeah. Um, uh, so, okay. I've been dealing with this for a long time. And it does have a name. So yeah, that's that's my controversial part of it. So okay. there's a there's a name for this condition for people that and it's not just like oh hey that's you know you you hear somebody like chewing or whatever and you're like oh that's annoying like hey man you know, chew with your mouth closed you know like your typical like did anybody ever teach you to chew with your mouth closed like this is I'm talking about a true like physical reaction like you like fingernails on the chalkboard type thing. Yes, like you feel it, you can like, you start getting anxiety, you start getting angry, you start having a panic attack. You're like, it's a beyond annoyed, and you, it almost like you feel like you need to flee the room. Right. Sometimes you do. And it's called misophonia. Yep. Or misophonia, if you want to be all Japanese about it. Um, Misohorny. Mm, that's a different type of condition. But um, so what I've, had experience is, and it's not just, you know, something as simple as like, you know, like there's those people think like, what is it? ASMR now where like you have 
people that are so it's the opposite side they're so into it and they're like having people like eat carrots and things like that like up close on the microphone like really right so you can hear the the moisture and the, the the saliva you know and the noise between the tongue and the mouth and all that like i i will rip my ears off and i will <laughs> shove them in your mouth and make you eat them if you're going to want to fucking be that close to my fucking ears with your sounds and <laughs> And I try to be, you know, and it's not, it's not me just being like, you fucking, you know, you, it's like, it's not a misunderstanding thing or it's like an overreaction thing. It's, I literally will, I, if I'm going to freak the, it's, it's hard to really explain if you're not one that has issues with it because I have family members that do that. And it's like really difficult because you can't just, you know, kind of be an asshole. Like you said, you know, you can't like sometimes call someone out on it just because you... Yeah, please stop chewing carrot right now. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, hey, chew the most. And it's like, no, even if you can say it the most polite way and explain like, you know, hey, because not everybody knows, they'll just, they won't be like, oh, you have misophonia. Okay. It's like, they'll just think you're just being fucking, you're overreacting. You're just being well, a fucking... Well, the thing about it too is sometimes it is not in control of the eater, the sound. There's, no, and that's the thing. That's why like, I bring up carrots and stuff. Even if somebody chews with their mouth closed, exactly, it's still loud enough for the people who are bothered by this. I don't use the term misophonia. We'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, I'm just saying that because the people know that there is a a, a like a, a condition that in the medical world that medical world they have used to diagnose people that have like this mm, type of. Um, we'll get into that. That's actually not true, but well, it is and it isn't. <laughs> It's 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 a word people like to use. There's no documentation to back it up. So that's why I'm iffy on it. That's why I don't use the word. I just personally, I even though I suffer from the condition to some degree, I don't like to talk about it in those terms. Just because I hate the fact that every fucking thing in the world has a goddamn name now. So that we can that's all true, just yeah. like wear our disorders like a fucking badge of honor. No, I agree with that. Yeah, and. True. This is this is the. I'm going to read a paragraph from the Wikipedia page because I knew you were going to bring this up. Um, and I was just like, okay, let me make sure I understand what it is. And I read this paragraph, and I'm all, yes, this whole paragraph is everything I hate. <laughs> but, also, you understand Wikipedia is Wikipedia, and right. I no, could that, have written that paragraph. That's, that's what I mean. But this is the way people. It's my whole problem with it is taking something that. It's probably verifiably true that, you know, like I know how I feel and the fact that you feel that way. There's two people that feel a similar way. Okay, maybe there is something more here. But the way this is written, it just makes it sound like it's like, oh my God, I have a disease. Yeah, no, 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 no. no and I'm no, like, no. fuck you. You know, like it's still tough enough. You know, it sucks. And I, it's, it's tough to... And, but at the same time, like you still have control. Like go in another room. Exactly. Don't don't fucking start wearing it like a badge. But here, let me read this paragraph. Misophonia is not classified as an auditory or psychiatric condition, and so and is so and so is different from phonophobia, fear of sound. Mm. There are no standard diagnostic criteria, and there is little research on how common it is or how to treat it. Proponents suggest misophonia can adversely affect the ability to achieve life goals. I'm just going to stop right there and say, "Fuck you." Yeah, no, that's a that's beyond uh, reason. I've had it bad and I'm sorry, it's never gotten in the way of me being able to achieve life goals. Yeah, no. What it meant, it would, like, it creates un, you know, unneeded, like, stress and anxiety if you're in a position where you cannot 
like get away. Mm-hmm. Like I have a friend that he, you know, and, and it's kind of one of those things where it's so common. Like so many people have it to some degree. Like we all have things that make, you know, we just can't stand that's annoying. But right. also like something that you can't stand and is annoying may not cause you to actually feel like emotional distress and like right. yeah the line between actual what may be an actual condition or disorder yeah and people just being easily annoyed right is so gray yeah and it's like what are you like what is it that's really bothering you is it the sound that's bothering you or is it like are you using that as an excuse like that person bothered you you don't like that person and they're doing something that is categorized as annoying and so you're going to be like your chewing annoys me well no just anything that person does is going to annoy you and right. you're going to use that as an excuse. And but, it, I don't, for you, is it just chewing? Because to me, sometimes it's just certain sounds. No, yeah. So certain sounds. Um, and it's not just people. Like, I yeah. cannot stand the sound of dogs licking. And oh, mine is uh, leaf blowers. Okay. Yeah. Like, I have my, one of my coworkers. It's so funny because we work at a guitar shop. <laughs> don't say guitar amps. No, it's worse than that. Tuning. No, it's worse than that. Oh, no. Have you ever, have you ever played an acoustic guitar? Yes, I'm yeah. sure you have. Fret have buzz? Played, have you, no. Have you ever moved Holy your shit. fingers along the strings? and? Oh, my God. That sound that your fingers make across the... Uh-huh, the, the squeak. Just, it's... New strings, mostly. I wish I had a... I have a guitar behind me over here, but I can grab it. Um, the sound is, if you're... Anybody that's listened to any person... On a recording, play an acoustic guitar. Any person in person play acoustic guitar. Yep. When their fingers are not on a fret and fretting a chord, and they're just kind of moving from one position to the next, and they've released tension off of the fretboard, and the, the meat of their uh, fingertips is kind of still touching lightly on the strings as they move, you kind of hear this higher pitched um, scraping sound, and he he can't handle that. And if you're sitting there playing, and if it's just, you know, you're, you're not doing it intentionally, he'll, it's like as if someone's stabbing a needle into his ears. So, and it's so, you know, funny because, well, not funny, but it's like, there's no avoiding that. Especially since the acoustic room is literally right next to us. And I'm sitting there all the time, like having to check guitars and play it. And it's, I mean, it's most noticeable on acoustic guitars because it's kind of, yeah, because the ridges are... 99% of the time you're playing it, it's gonna, you're going to be hearing it. Well, the uh, ridges are wider between yeah, the I'm coils. Yeah, the strings, yeah. But um, What's funny about that is <laughs> the song... I mean, the podcast that I recommended to Lamb on the last episode, Strong Songs, there's a mm-hmm. Q&A episode. This is all going to connect in a weird way. Mm-hmm. They talked... Somebody sent a question in, and they said, in this One Republic song... <laughs> see how it all ties together? <laughs> There's this weird squeaking sound. And once I heard it, now I can't not hear it. And it's exactly that sound. Yeah. Um, um, and so there's also fret buzz sometimes too. You get, which is a similar sound actually. It is, but like with him, I haven't noticed him having an issue with that. It's, and it's funny because sometimes people will standing, be standing behind him, like be like, oh, what's that guitar that you guys are working on? I'll hand it to him. And they'll literally be standing right behind his chair. And playing, and some people have a tendency to make this sound more than others, just because of their finger ridges or whatever. like their their touch. You know, their how much um, 
pressure they have or don't have on the strings or whatever. It's just how they move their hand. Anyway, just their playing style. It can be more prevalent. And if one coworker, it's a little bit more prevalent. And <laughs> it literally like, it happens more often where he'll be standing right behind my coworker and doing it. And it's almost like he's doing it intentionally. <laughs> it's just it's painful for me to watch but also like I can understand but also it's like uh, this is awkward I gotta leave um, but yeah no it's like it's, it's not always, always new strings so old strings will get worn down and they won't make the noise as much you can well, that's, still yeah that's just because there's a buildup of dirt and filth and skin in the fucking yeah and I think the ridges maybe soften a little bit too that, on, that, on yeah. the coils yeah and also for people who aren't super familiar with guitars, these are the, these are the low end strings. Yeah, high end strings don't usually have coils. On acoustic, you have the the um, third string is wound as well, so um, you have three. In all guitar, you know, electric guitar strings, you have three bass strings and three treble strings. Mm-hmm. And the three bass strings are always wound because um, that makes them thicker. Not always. Uh, wound the same way you have some like jazz strings that are flat wounds that you will not have this issue because it's literally a flat winding mm-hmm. um, and in acoustics uh, the third treble string the g string <laughs> is uh <laughs> is also wound um, and on jazz electrics they'll be wound now, we can get into that later well and and you get it you hear it less on electric guitars not only because the metal that's coiled on the strings is tighter so you have less space between the ridges of the coils. Mm-hmm. And because you're usually playing through an amp. And the amp pretty much disguises a lot of that noise because you're probably playing with distortion. Yeah. Or you're overdriving it. Or you've got some chorus or some reverb. Yep. And it's also not... Uh, with the exception of like guitars like mine, which is an electric with a hollow body, mm-hmm. you're not getting that echo. So it's it's actually magnetic resonance that's picking up. So it's actually not going to pick up that sound anyways. Yeah. Okay. Guitar uh, nerded out. Yeah. But yeah. So mouth noises. It's, you know, I, I just can't do it. Can't handle it. And it's not like I wish I... And, and I've learned to kind of be a little bit more, you know, wusa about it, where if it starts to happen, I just, you know... I try to be a little bit more um, power of the mind over. Um, I mean, even though it's a mental, you know, it's in my brain, I try to over, you know, think beyond what it is really and see the big picture and just understand. Okay, you know, take a few deep deep breaths. Uh, can I remove myself from the situation? No. Can I? Can I zone? Can I? block it out, kind of zone in on something else that I'm doing and, you know, kind of turn that part of my hearing off. Can I ignore it? If not, okay, uh, do I bring it up to the, you know, whatever it is, or if it's not something that I can, you know, if it's not a human being or somebody that I can have a discussion with or, hey, you know, explain, can you stop or do this or go over there or whatever. Um, I just try to <laughs> find my zen and understand it's like that a pocket it's... full of nerds. Yes. And anytime you hear it, you just stuff the nerds in your mouth and chew them. And I got now you're teeth, making man. just as much noise. <laughs> <laughs> and then the person that's sitting there who has the same problem now hears two people doing it and they'll probably do something terrible to you. Yeah. But um, one thing I have found about uh, 
Um, what did they see? Okay, somewhere I found when I was looking up in the past about the. And you know what's funny is I know people that have that you know kind of feel the same way and have the same kind of uh, struggle with things like this. And <laughs> I've asked them before because I have one friend, and she has a shit ton of dogs in her house. Like, mm-hmm. like she's a not she's not a crazy cat lady. She's a crazy dog lady, and. Like dogs, I think are the biggest proponents of this, perpetrators of this because they proponents and they're like, I yes, <laughs> yeah, woo, woo, we love this. No, you know, um, <laughs> perpetrators of this, um, because like they'll sit there and they'll fucking lick their dick and fucking lick their asshole and chew mm-hmm. on their feet. And Usually, Latte does that in the middle of a podcast, or just or just sit there and just like. Just do that for no fucking reason. <laughs> Some dogs have wetter mouths than others, too. Yeah. And it, Luckily, chihuahuas have fairly dry mouths. Well, I've had experiences with chihuahuas, and that was what really almost made me fucking jump out of a fucking... the top of a building. <laughs> I had to deal with two chihuahuas. One just always chewing their damn feet, and the other one's just sitting there just fucking licking. Just... Ugh. Anyway. Um, uh... But yeah, I asked her, I was like, how do you fucking handle that? She's like, yeah, it's... Quaaludes. She's like, I love them. So I just like tell them to shut up and they stop. <laughs> like if it happens in the middle of the night, because that's the worst. Like the first time I noticed it was years and years and years ago. Um, was, uh, an ex uh, was we had the dog sit for our boss and um, it was this little like shih tzu that was really old and had no teeth. Mm. And so its tongue was always like coming out of its mouth because there was no teeth to keep it its tongue in its mouth. And in the middle of the night, it would just be all all night just <laughs> breathing, you know, it's just all this shit. And even just hearing myself do that, it's like, ah, stop. Um, but that was when I first noticed it, that it was like, oh, wow, oh, this is, I never felt this before. Oh, this is not good. I feel angry. I feel like I want to just Hulk out and Hulk smash. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, you know it's it's. <laughs> so I asked her, I was like, so how do you handle that? Like in the middle of the night, because you have all these dogs, like either laying on the bed or laying on the floor or laying around the room. She's like, I've kind of trained them to where if I like slap the bed hard enough, they all just stop. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right. I mean, I've tried that too, but put the fear of God in them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's if it works, it works. Cool, fine. See, I'm lucky. Latte once he goes to sleep for the night done he never wakes up for me like and he lays there and waits for me to wake up in the morning <laughs> it's a good dog man it's a good dog um but uh i was trying to find let's see somewhere around here i had found when i was looking for like mouth noise like disorder um issues all that kind of bullshit and it's a okay so do chewing sounds make you crazy the condition can be called misophonia, a very in a very small uh, but contentious community. Oh, hold on! I think it's saying that misophonia is, uh, has a name in a very small contentious community of researchers, um, and they say that it is the link to uh, those that are geniuses. So, y'all can fuck off. I'm a genius. <laughs> Close your damn mouth. Also worth pointing out, 
it is kind of funny that the name sounds like it's fake. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Misophony. Yeah, misophony. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I think that's enough for that topic. You know how we've been uh, the last few episodes, I think, one, maybe not the last one, I always try to grab like an index card from one of these boxes. Yeah. I'm always, oh, wrong box, whatever. I finally fucking labeled them. Oh, look at you doing stuff. Yeah. I finally labeled them and I organized them. So uh, there's, I was just like literally thinking about this before we came into the, to record. There's this podcast out there, which is, oh, that was a nice one. See, burps, I don't, don't mind them. No, me neither. They're fun. Uh, it's in the description of the show. I think it's still in the description of the show. Perps happen. But the we're drinking carbonated beverages. We're not just... <laughs> just belching just a belch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> These two there's a podcast called... Oh, you know what? It's not called Big Think. It's made by Big Think. Um, hold on. I screwed up. All right. While you're looking that up, I can share a bit of information off what we're talking about. Um, talking about bladders. Um uh, looking about two inches to more than six inches, depending on the amount of liquid. So it stretches. Mm. So that's how big a bladder is. I mean, it's a stretchy little balloon thing. It's a bladder. That's why it gets painful. It's a bladder. It's like it's a full. Stre- yeah, full. I'm, I, dude, I'm packing a full six inches right now. That's why when you pee sometimes, you're just like, oh my God, it's coming out so fast. It's the pressure. Yeah. Okay, so the podcast is actually called Think Again, but it is made by Big Think. Big Think is a website about... Um, long-form topics on uh, big ideas in the world. Really cool website, cool podcast. Um, I like the website a little bit better than the podcast just because the podcast doesn't go as long as it should sometimes mm. with these topics because some of the, you know, they're talking about like sex and relationship, technology, innovation, culture, uh, personal growth, mind and brain, but then they go like deeper, deeper, deeper. In a way, it's kind of like Ted. But it's not videos and people on stage. Hmm. The they do do video do do. Um, do. They also do videos. But anyways, I'm on a complete tangent. One of the things that they do in the podcast that I thought was just really interesting and really cool is so they will have on guests, and um, I'm going to pull up a list and give you an idea of what this is. But the the they bring in the guest and say the guest is there to talk about cryptocurrency mm. or they're there to talk about uh, the keto diet, something mm. like that, right? At the end, what they do is they play for them two randomly selected videos. They typically tend to be, I think it's either videos that they've done or they've had because they have these people come on to videos or a TED talk. Okay. Um, and it's not the whole video. They just play part of it and they're completely randomly selected. So it's not selected specifically for this person or their expertise, which I think is really cool because you get almost every time that I've heard it, I don't listen to the show on a regular basis, but almost every time I've heard it, the person, the video comes up and you think, wow, this has nothing to do with what they've been talking about for the last hour. Yeah, And the person always seems to pull an insight out of it and it's really fascinating how they connect it. And usually there's a way that the two videos end up connecting, even though they're completely random. Mm. And so I was thinking about that before. For some reason, that popped in my head while we were um, getting ready to record. Maybe because I'm sitting here with the microphone in front of me, staring at these boxes. 
I was like, mm, you know what? Every once in a while, maybe I'm just going to reach in the box and pull something out and just see what happens. So I'm going to do that right now just because... Fuck it. I said it. We'll pull, one of, the, it. We'll pull one of the quotes out and just see what you and probably what me, what I think about it. Completely random. Okay, this is a quote from Quila. From Quila, where did the K come from? <laughs> Twyla Tharp from the Creative Habit. No matter what system you use, I recommend it having a goal and putting it in writing. What do you think about that? That makes sense because it's it's like having one of those um, motivational posters in your cubicle, you know, like the cat on the wire. Hang in there. Um, <laughs> I love how you could just pull that out of the air. Or like, you know, Fox Mulder, you know. The truth is I want to believe. I believe. I want to believe. Um, Yeah, no, I like that because like, you know, a company will have that as a mission statement. You know, it's like, this is what we're after. This is what we do. This is, and you kind of, it it gives you a kind of something to be held accountable to Mm -hmm. by either yourself or anybody else that's involved or knows what you're trying to do. If you've, you know, if you have people that are like that. Um, yeah, no, that's... What I think is interesting think. about it is uh, it reminds me of... And, you know, these things are put in a box a long time ago, so I haven't looked at them in a long time. It reminds me of what I always say about writing, uh, whether a book or a story, just writing in general. You have to get it down on paper because... Uh, in the context of a story, I could think of a story in my head and it's always going to be perfect in my head because any issues, I can always just resolve it. You know, it's this fluid, untangible thing as long as it's in my head, but I can't really do anything with it, right? Because it has no shape. Yeah. But the moment, the moment you put it on paper, number one, you're immediately aware of the limitations of it. But then once it's down on paper, you can actually start to repair it and to build upon it, and to change it, and to structure it. So, like that, that really connects with me in the sense, of like, oh, of course, a goal would be like that too. Like a goal is always a perfect goal as long as you leave it in the air. But once you put it down on paper, it's there, and you can't say, "Well, that was kind of what I meant." No, it's right there. That's not what you said. So, you know, like you, it's almost like making yourself accountable to the actual goal instead of having this ever shifting goalpost. Yeah, because your your brain's a funny thing where it can start to like if you have if you have no kind of physical representation or evidence of what it is that you are are after or trying to get and it's all just just you know, I'm just thinking about it in my head. It's like your your brain's tricky enough to where it can start to like convince you otherwise. It can convince you to forget about it or to convince you that that's not really what you were thinking or what you were wanting. You can just having start having self-doubt and second-guessing and all that kind of shit. But if you have it written down, you're like, no, I fucking, I remember writing this down. I remember why I, you know, where this stemmed from when I started thinking this and feeling like this. And, you know, it it came to a point where I decided, okay, it needs to be out, you know, and written down for the ages, you know, I've put it in a, you know, uh, I've dictated this down. It's, it's real. It's tangible. I can, anybody can take it, can see it, can know it, 
and yeah, it's uh, not going to disappear right. and morph into something else. It's so funny that you say that because <laughs> the more episodes we do of this, the the more everything starts to connect everything that I'm looking at, you know, like everything I just said right there, like how weird is that? Oh, that connected to, to one Republic. And, uh, you know, this quote connected to that idea. I was just reading this article by, um, from Farnham street. And it was about keep a decision journal. And I was like, what the fuck is a decision journal? I mean, I click on almost anything that has the word journal in it because I'm like, Oh, what kind of, what kind of journaling you doing? I like journals. Um, but a decision journal, what this guy was saying, his name is Shane Parrish, um, what he was saying is a decision journal is every time you make a choice, a decision, obviously it's not for like small choices. Like I chose to go, go pee right now instead of in five minutes. Yeah. Um, but anytime you make a decision, you write it down in this journal and you explain, you know, like your reasoning and all of that. And he says the purpose for that is because what we tend to do, and this is, you know, like this is, a lot of the stuff he does is a little bit more slanted toward entrepreneurs and stuff like that. But I, I believe that it's, it's applicable to all of us. What we tend to do is have like this revivalist history or not revivalist, uh, revisionist history mm. uh, where we go, Oh yeah, I made this decision. And you, uh, you assume that, you know, you had made like the best decision all the way through because, you know, it worked out or, you know, you change change the definition of what you had decided when it doesn't work out. But when you put it in this journal, it makes you face what you actually decided and why you actually decided it. And the purpose of that is so that you can learn to make better decisions by being faced with the reality of the decisions that you make. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe eventually you start to realize patterns. Like... um, you know, as a heterosexual man, like I make really bad choices about women when this is involved. Like, yeah. uh, I'm, or I make really bad choices about companies that are too risky. Mm-hmm. And I always assume that they're going to be unicorns and they're not. Yeah. So having to face those things, like that's, that's, yeah, I guess like putting those down, there is something to be said about that. And I don't think typing, I don't. I don't feel like typing counts, at least uh, not on a computer, because it's too easy to alter a file, right? Yeah, I've never felt the same type of uh, um, kind of attachment to anything I've written electronically typing than I do um, physically, because you know, one, if you're if you're, a, if you're a pencil writer, you're gonna most likely see any kind of erased marks, so you can be like, well, you know. You can erase something that you wrote, but you'll kind of always have a reminder that, and you'll always you yourself will know when you see that piece of paper, like, oh, I wrote, I wrote something, I erased something, you know, I I took something away, I um, omitted something that I written down initially and changed my mind or tried to hide it or whatever the f- purpose was behind it, um, misspelled or <laughs> yeah, or, or if you're uh, if you're a pen writer, it's fucking it's permanent, yeah. I'm a pen writer. Yeah. So if you, with that, it's even more obvious. Like, look at all those fucking scribbles and um, scratches and uh, blocked out, you know, redacted words and redacted sentences or whatever it is. Um, What are you hiding from yourself? It's like (laughs) yourself is going to know what was there. You know what was there. There was, believe it or not, people who are 
unaware of this as I was for a long time. There was a period of time where Tim Ferriss was a multiple guest on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is just anybody in the podcast world is just kind of that didn't know that it's a little bit like mind blown right there. Like those are two of the biggest guys. Mm -hmm. And I believe it might've been their second conversation. I'll have to look. I posted a clip of this on Instagram like a month and a half ago. So that'll help me find it for the show notes. But the two of them were talking and they were talking about writing. And one of the things that Tim said that really hit me was when you write on paper, it's so there's this writing phrase called kill your darlings. That means if you think something that you've written is too precious, you should kill it because it's probably, it probably doesn't belong in what yeah. you're writing. Like the overall thing should be the thing that you care about, not those little pieces. And when you care about those little pieces too much, you let the writing suffer. Mm. So when you write on paper, it's easier to kill your darlings because when you write on a computer, and you kill something, it disappears. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, you know, like there's no body left over <laughs> to go True. with the kill yeah. metaphor. But when you do it yeah. on paper, there's a line through it. Right. It's still there. You can still read it. You know, yeah. it's dead, but it's not dead. And I thought that was a really fantastic uh, way of, of talking about the differences between those two mediums, too. Mm -hmm. Which I think that's probably why I like journaling. In, in paper because I like having the mistakes. When I go back and I look at old journals and go, wow, I sure botched... Because uh, I'm, I'm not a great speller. <laughs> I sure botched the spelling of that word right there. Or mm -hmm. I've been... I don't... This just developed out of nowhere. Recently in the last six months, I've started writing in cursive again. And I haven't written in cursive for decades probably. Yeah. So sometimes you'll see words crossed out in my journal. And what that is, is I started to write the word, but I got like wrapped up in the motion. Right. And either made the wrong letter or skipped right. some letters or yeah. put them in the wrong order. So there's scribbles all through there where I'm like, oh, there's a fresh H in there. Yeah, it's such poor cursive. It's not even legible anymore. It's There's something I've, I've read. I don't know. I've, I don't know if I'll be able to find this for show notes because... This was years and years and years ago. But there was a study done on the difference with how your brain processes information written in cursive, mm -hmm. written in print, and then typed. And cursive was by far the best for your brain. Interesting. And it's, it's because you're using... It's one of the few activities in the world where you're using your both quadrants of your brain at the same time. The spatial quadrant and then the, the analytical quadrant, yeah. which used to be referred to as right brain, left brain, is no longer a good way to refer to it because we know they're connected. So you're shaping the letters and you're, there's an art to cursive. Yeah. You know, you're making these connections. And there's also a part of your brain that has to remember, okay, when I get to the end of this line, because you know, cursive essentially for a word is one continuous line. When I get yeah. to the end of this line, I got to go back and dot that T and that or dot that i cross that yeah. t put mm -hmm. the other leg on that x you know whatever so you, yeah. you're you're also keeping those things so there, i can see that you're more conscious of what you're writing when you're writing in cursive yeah really i always found for me when i was when i uh, cuz 
with uh, last week with going through my, my old journals, I have one journal where like the first half of it, I did everything in cursive. And it was a point in time where I was like, I was very like intent on just everything that I wrote, everything that I, every idea that I put, you know, to paper, I did in cursive. Um, mm-hmm. Just to probably for the same reason, or just for it, just something about it just happened. And it felt like it, it, I felt more connected because what it did was it, I, I never once kind of started feeling my brain drift off into like something else. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was focused just that little bit more on what I was thinking and what I was writing. And I felt like things were flowing more and I was married to what I was doing far more, um, you know, deeply than um, just scribbling in, you know, chicken scratch, you know, regular fucking boring ass letters with shitty ass handwriting, you mm-hmm. know, cause it's like, cause I'm looking at right now, my shitty ass handwriting on these cards. I wonder like if I, if you were to read, you know, if you're to find like a, um, you know, something, you know, more than the adventures of Richard scary, you know, if you're to find something a little bit more kind of mentally profound written in cursive and listen to like, Mozart while you did it would that just like blow your fucking mind probably what I find fascinating is you know these handwriting experts they they're able to insinuate some sort of personality from handwriting Mm -hmm. and knowing that I'm watching all the forensic shows and shit that I watch I notice that my cursive fluctuates I don't write the same cursive every day. Mm-hmm. So some days it slants to the right a little bit more. You yeah. know, some some days it's sloppier. Some days it's beautiful and flowing. And yeah, and I'm wondering if that's the, literally the, the manifestation of different moods of my personality. You know, like I'm. You know, like obviously this is probably an apparent connection, but still kind of mind blowing that it's true. When my writing's hand, when my writing's messy. Usually my mind is messy that day too. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, I feel like it, I found for me, anytime that happened, it was, even though I'm saying like, yeah, by writing cursive, I was more paying attention and more intently, you know, uh, you know, in tune with what I was doing. It's still like, if my brain is distracted, my brain's going to be distracted. Right. And like the hand, eye, muscle memory, all that coordination, all that kind of shit is going to be thrown off. And it's yeah, like, not to mention the emotional stuff. Right. And it's like, you know, I almost feel like with writing and things like that. And it's, it's the same kind of, uh, you should follow the same, uh, kind of, uh, idea or if like for music, if you're playing a mutant instrument and you try to go to it and you try to play and you're feeling not connected to it and you're feeling out of it and it's feeling struggle, like you're struggling and it's feeling forced. Mm-hmm. Put it down. Switch instruments. Yeah. Just or walk away. Exactly. Put it down, walk away, you know, do something else because it's, the outcome is not going to be, you're not going to benefit, you know, from practicing the piano or practicing the guitar or practicing whatever it is. If you're feeling, because there's just some days where you're not going to be able to do it, you know, right. and well, that's what they call it a rut. Right. And so you're literally stuck in a groove 
in the ground that you can't get out of. Yeah. So like if you were to try to, you know, like, man, I just can't, the, the, the ideas aren't flowing or they're there, but I just can't seem to get them out. Cool. Stop. They'll, you know, it's not meant to be happening right now. Go do something else. And, and that's one of the hard thing, hardest things too, is knowing the difference between then and when you should push through. Yeah. Sometimes you do have to push through a block. I feel like if you've, you know, if you've been at it for, you know, enough time, you've been through those moments where you've seen, you can kind of, you have the intuition and knowing like, okay, I just need to, you know, kind of change up what I'm doing this little bit. And okay, there it is. Now I've made myself, I, you know, I got myself over the hump. Right. If you've, if you've done it long enough, you know, if you're, you know, if you're cracking out, yeah, then you're, you're too far gone. If yeah. you're about to smash the guitar, it's time to walk away. <laughs> yeah, like just literally nothing you do is working. You're like, okay, I'm going to tr- stop trying to do um, scales. I'm just going to sit here and just try to like... If everything feels uninspired and it's just like... You're like, why the fuck am I doing this? Like, just put it down. Not forever. Just put it down for right now. If you're like trying to write something, it's like... God, I can't even fucking... My J's are looking like F's. This is bullshit. Um <laughs> So it's like just just step away for a moment, man. Just step away. Just maybe go read something. Maybe go watch something. Maybe find a whole new, you know, something unrelated to what it is that you're trying to get at. You know, um, yeah. It's creativity is not always so cut and dry. Yeah. Um, before we get on to our tent pole idea for this episode, there's one little thing that I wanted to bring into the conversation that we had talked about last week about ownership mm-hmm. uh, and inaction and like being lazy and avoiding shit. I ran across this card and I was like, Oh, I got to bring that into the episode. So I read this book recently called claim your power. Yes. It is a self helpy type book. I didn't really know that at the time it was recommended to me by um, someone that I didn't think that was into that kind of stuff. It's actually like a 40 day program type thing. I just fucking read it. I didn't do the program. It's actually uber Christian. But anyhow, whether you like that or not, that's what it is. One of the ideas came from it. uh, The author's name is Mastin Kip. Is when you avoid taking action because there is an outcome that you fear, your inaction actually brings that feared outcome to life. So if you fear, if you don't do things because you fear failure, you're failing already by not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really profound. Where it's like, oh, that thing that you're fearing, you're avoiding that because you're afraid of it. You're already getting that. Yeah, guess what? You just you, you just brought that upon yourself. That's pretty crazy. That's a that's a really powerful way to look at that. We're like, well, it can't be any worse than what I'm already doing, which is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's. This should be an interesting conversation, our tentpole conversation today. So this comes from an idea comes from Architecture of Happiness by Lane de Botton. Mm. It's a beautiful book. It's probably I'm making a guess. The year's not over. It'll probably be in my top three books of the year. He says this is not an exact quote, but societies crave in art and architecture that which they are lacking. Order craves realistic art and its escapism. Chaos craves the rhythm, harmony, and simplicity 
of abstraction. So what my question was looking at that idea says, do we find beauty in the things that in things that contain what we lack? That's my question. Okay. Did I make that clear? I might have stumbled over my words there. Give it to me one more time. So what he claims is it does it does bear a little more explaining on the order thing. He says that societies crave things that they lack. Mm-hmm. When you look at their art and architecture, what mm-hmm. art and architecture are popular during certain times and in certain places shows you what that society was lacking. So in a time of overt order where things are way too ordered, maybe the when you live in a place with an authoritarian government, mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of realistic art because people want to imagine being somewhere else. So they want it to look as real as possible. Mm. They want to see, you know, like beautiful women and, you know, evocative landscapes. Whereas in times of um, more chaotic times, you'll see more abstract art because abstract art is about rhythm and harmony and simplicity since there's no representation there. So the chaos craves rhythm, harmony, and simplicity. So what I'm wondering is if we as people rather than societies whether we look for beauty in places that have things that we don't, you know, like if I, if I lack order, do I find things that are ordered beautiful? If I lack emotion, do I find things that are emotionally evocative, beautiful? Mm. Interesting. Okay. Okay. It's like kind of like a, they say that if you, if your body needs salt, you'll suddenly start craving salt. That's kind of what I'm wondering. Do we crave that which we lack? I feel like, I mean, like anything, it's not always, you know, cut and dry, black and white, yes or no. Of course, and uh, you're having to think of this on the spot too, so. Right. But, I mean, I'm thinking of situations where, yes, there's, you know, people that uh you know seclude themselves you know and kind of survive forever without you know human contact and without uh kind of what would be all like you know there's those people that go up and just separate themselves from uh, modern society and live in a shack with no electricity and shit in a hole in the ground and um, live off the land and get off just fine with never seeing another fucking soul and uh, no telephones, no fucking this, no that, like all the things that we just see on a daily basis, like they get away with it just fine. So um, I think for me, it's more, Because we don't all find the same thing or need the same things. Right, we don't exactly. All see the same things as beautiful. Um, you know, I always kind of toy with the fun idea that for me, what tastes like the taste of sweet to you could be the taste of sour. But we both, 
when we say, Does that taste sweet? Yeah. Because to you, what you know what I mean? Right, like the color thing. Right. Like, like if you uh, see the color we might red. not be seeing the same green, but we've always been told when we see that thing, it's that, called yeah, green. Exactly. So here's a strawberry. What does that taste like? It tastes like a strawberry. But that strawberry to you could taste like an orange. And the orange... Yeah, or shit. Like, exactly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yes, we do seek out that which... Um, I mean, let's look at music. I mean, for me, it's always easy to go to music first. It's like, mm-hmm. if I am... If I'm lacking the feeling of, you know, companionship or um, compassion or, you know, love and affection, all that kind of stuff, I very much will be a sappy son of a bitch and I will listen to the most fucking sappy, fucking, like, heartbreaking love songs and shit. Um because like it, listen to Barry Manilow when because you're it makes you feel you know mm-hmm. like or just something that to me even if it's not like about you know like she broke my heart and like if if <laughs> it doesn't have to be like that kind of shit it can just be something that makes me feel the same type of emotion that I'm missing so mm-hmm. <sighs> like the cure like, or something like that sure something like that um overly romantic. But, yeah, you know, it's but is that something, you know, cuz then I have to wonder like is that something because when I was younger someone that I looked up to and respected was like, you know, told me some sort of like hey this this is the greatest fucking record to listen to for heartbreak or whatever and all of a sudden I just used that and it was the snowball started rolling down the hill and I went from that album to this song, to this song, to that fucking mm-hmm. album and this and that. And before you know it, you already forgot. How did I get on this track anyway? I don't remember where this all started, but I just know where I'm going and where I've been and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So, um, sometimes, man, that's a difficult, that's a difficult topic to really. Well, I think with music too, it's easy to, you know, we could probably think of examples where that doesn't work, where it's like, when I'm angry, I want to listen to something angry, not something happy. Yeah. But I think what we're craving there is not anger or relief from anger. I think what we're craving there is release. Yeah, the release, the to be able to kind of an outlet to to show what it is that you're not getting a chance to show. Yeah, you're like, I'm angry, but I know I can't just fucking beat everybody up. So I'm going to listen to Slayer. Right. Because Slayer sounds like beating somebody up. Yeah. Or screaming. You know, like it sounds like screaming, but I can't scream right now. I'm at work. Or like I'm I don't I'm not really not capable of screaming. If I try to scream, I sound like a little girl. So I'm gonna listen to fucking Corey Taylor scream from Slipknot. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like the more I dig into it and I start looking at it like that, I'm like, "Hmm, maybe that maybe it is true. And I'm I've been trying to think of like examples of like how I reach for like, you know, like when I feel actually a great, great example. When I, this is two things that a lot of people listening have heard me talk about before, and you will understand a little bit more about this. I have gone through periods of extreme anxiety. The worst periods of time when I had anxiety, I was uh, completely consumed with hypochondria. Mm. Um, this has been a couple years, luckily. Knock on wood. Oh, the dog didn't bark. Luckily, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but 
But when I was in that stage, like I'll give you a, a really tangible example, and it's actually uncomfortable to remember this. Mm-hmm. I used to, I used to live in or my my room was a different room, and it was a smaller room, and I was having this just like severe uh, panic attack to the point where I felt like my heart wasn't actually beating. It's a really weird thing to explain because it's not logical, right? I'd be dead. Right. But when you're in that, it feels absolutely true. And I remember standing with my hands on this dresser, looking at the television and trying to get wrapped up in what I was watching mm-hmm. to forget what I was feeling. But I was watching something that didn't make me feel that way. Yeah. So I had to turn it off. And at that time, I didn't really have uh, coping mechanisms. That was the early days mm-hmm. of me learning how to deal with this disorder. And what I do now, I will watch something Lamb and I have talked about many times, soft shows. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you. Mm-hmm. But a soft show to me is a show that is not important to you um, in the sense that it's not... You know, like your favorite show in the world. And well, actually, that's maybe that's not true. It could be your favorite show in the world, but it's not serious. Yeah. In, in the sense that it may deal with serious topics, but it's not really, it's usually a sitcom for me. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, TJF, thank God it's TV kind of shit. Yeah. And for me, like the hokier or the older that it is, and the more it reminds me of my childhood. Mm hmm the softer that is. Or, for example, like Friends. I didn't watch Friends when it was on. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only seen it for the first time a few years ago. But that's a soft show to me, number one, because I've seen them all like four times. Yeah. So I don't really have to pay attention. Um, so that's part of the soft show thing too. But it evokes a certain feeling. And that feeling is a certain safety and calmness and familiarity. And obviously, all three of those things are kind of interweaved together. Yeah. So if I were in a very anxious place where I'm very chaotic inside, watching something like that, you know, if I'm rigid or I'm jagged, this is something smooth. And so, yeah, I do. I like. I can see that exactly because I do. I run to those in the sense that I will turn something off. I'm like, can't deal with this emotionally right now. Yeah. And switch to something else. And you know, it doesn't make it go away, but I do crave it. I'm trying to think of something. I mean, I had a friend that was that was like that, and instead of it's hard not being able to breathe, he would like be convinced that he, or, sorry, that his heart couldn't beat. He was convinced that he couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's lungs, heart. Uh, some people get a throat thing. Yeah, um, and. It's kind of the same boat. I mean, he, you know, I think at his biggest, he weighed up to like 400 pounds um, and didn't leave the house much, you know, and Mm. have kind of crippling, debilitating um, anxiety. And uh, yeah, it was kind of tough. It was like a, you know, we always tried to be very, um, you know, kind of, welcoming and excited, you know, and show him like, Hey, it's great. You know, when he would come out and do stuff like, Hey man, it's great, but not like make a point of it, you know, like, uh, because if you kind of 
call someone out on that and make too much of a, um, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a show of it? Yeah, spectacle of it. Um, then it's like... When you say it, can you clarify what you mean by make a spectacle of it? Well, of like actually making it out of the house and overcoming oh, it. Oh, okay. You know, gotcha. and, and being out in the world um, and being around. Um, then, you know, you run the risk of them now feeling like, oh shit, like now I'm ashamed because everyone knows and it's, you know, now I'm embarrassed. Right. It adds to it. it. Yeah. And then it's just revert back, you know, the, another thing to stress about, yeah, another thing to worry about. Back, back in the show of the house, you know, and he got over it. But what started to happen was to get over it, you know, he then, he didn't leave the house because all he would do is work out in the garage, you know, and then he lost the weight. You know, and then he was like, you know, then he kind of found a good balance and, you know, was out in the world and was even more of like a social butterfly. And it was, you know, um, oh, you just really click something in for me. Hmm. Maybe that's another reason why exercise is so good for people with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because it brings order when you have chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it never even clicked. I just figured, you know, it's like a release of endorphins. It's good to be doing something. I never clicked that connection between the chaos and the order thing. Yeah. No, he definitely, um, he found a, finally he was able to be like, kind of felt like he was in control and he could kind of focus that the power of the anxiety, you know, and almost like, kind of redirect that power into his own, you know, it being his power now, not a force that was kind of pushing its power down on him. He was taking that power and pushing it outward. And then once you kind of start getting the, the gears moving and turning and this machine going down the tracks and all of a sudden he starts losing, you know, you're losing weight or you're doing whatever it is. And, you feel change and you kind of feel parts of you kind of either come to life or awaken that have been asleep, you know, for too long. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's like being kind of like a, a rebirth, you know, so being reborn. Um, so yeah, it's definitely in order, um, kind of, Situation, yeah, or it's yeah. well. You know what's what's interesting. What I was thinking about too, while we're talking about this, is there's manifestations of this in, or possible, I should say. Obviously, we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Possible manifestations in this in interpersonal relationships. Maybe uh, like I, I was really thinking about this for a couple of seconds there. Where do we are we attracted to people that have things that we don't? Like, for example, I think about um, the things that are the weakest in me, the things that I don't like about my personality or um, you know, just about my personality, you know, like things I don't, uh, tendencies I might have or something. Right. People who have that, whether friends or actual women, possible romantic relationships, mm-hmm. I don't find those people attractive. I'm repelled by those people. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it reminds me of those things in myself, but literally because it's, 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 it's repelled. 
I'm not attracted. Repel being the opposite of attracted, not repulsed. Big difference. Yes, exactly. Whereas uh, when I think about the people that I am attracted to, especially like I go back to like my younger days where I was far more chaotic. Like I'm a fairly organized person now. Yeah. I was really chaotic. Like I would, I would never pay my bills. I would just all over the place. Right. Just a complete fucking flake. Mm. But I always dated women that were like super organized and, you know, (laughs) responsible and paid their bills and, you know, had their own apartment or like most of these, most of these women were like the first people I know to buy their own house. Mm, yeah. like, so that's, that's an interesting way to look at it too, where it's like, Oh, do we crave that? From, do we, do we reach out for that in people too? I definitely do. Do you think that you do? I have, um, but I mean, looking back at it in the time, I don't think I've ever done it intentionally. No, I don't think I did either, to be honest. Um, That's why I think this but, whole thing, none of this stuff that we're talking about, I don't think any of it's ever intentional. Yeah. Um, I think it's an internal craving. I don't know. I mean, I can say, yeah, like, I don't know. I, think of the, just I'm like... trying to think of the way, like, when I look at, when I'm, you know, when I meet someone. Well, don't think about now, because it's too hard to think about now, because you're in it. Yeah. Think about something from the past. You don't have to share it with the audience, but in your head, think of a certain period of time that you can definitely see a certain themed emotion in your life. Mm-hmm. And then look at the people that you were attracted to or dating or friends and stuff you were around then and see if it fits. You know, like I said, I was really chaotic at that time. I was around really organized. My best friend at that time, too. Super responsible person. Yeah. Like my friends. Like my my friend group has always kind of always maintained and or been the same. You know, I've always kind of maintained mm-hmm. the same people, and even when new people came in, they were the same as the others. And um, <laughs> or, it's just or, a funny way to say that they were the same as the others. Well, you know, it's like, like you were just like well, making friends with photocopies. <laughs> yeah, like I just. I like to have just one thing, but I just like to have multiples of that one thing, you know. No, but you're Ryan like, and you're the yeah. copy of Ryan. <laughs> a backup. I need a backup. <laughs> Sometimes I like to have two Ryans about, you know? Um, <laughs> just in case one gets a little bit slow. Worn. Um <laughs> this one's worn out. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I take the back. I mean, not all my friends are the same, obviously. Like, right. You know, you know, still funny. But yeah, um, and I guess when I say like, well, they you know all of them are the same as the others is that they're all different. You know, they're all individuals. They're all just these people that I connect with for whatever reason. You know, like you know, compare you know compare a Carlos to a Ryan. Totally, you know, or, you know, compare a, um, a Drew, right. Compare Drew to, to a Mike McGee. Exactly. How did you get out the fuck out of my head, man? <laughs> um, you know, so it's like, maybe they do all have this like underlying, like all of my friends going back to, into the friends I still have from elementary school and middle school. 
up to all the friends I've met outside of that. You know, maybe they all have some sort of uh, inherent um, trait that they all share that I'm not really paying attention to or aware of. Maybe it's some subconscious thing. So I feel like my friendships are always just based on um, kind of me and that person. Uh, individual ex- relationships experience yeah experiencing something that it's like right yeah i consider this person my friend what about the ladies though with ladies um it, it's always i mean it's kind of the same thing it's like if if we connect on something it's like if i can find myself being able to talk to this person you know it's like communication is huge so if I'm able to communicate with a person, whether it's, you know, just stupid laughy ha-ha stuff, or if it's like, hey, you know, this is something that needs to be talked about. If, if you can do all those things, awesome, great. Uh, we're, so you don't see gonna, any themes, gonna... though. Or like waves, you know, like, oh, for a while there, and I'm not talking about like, oh, I was really into Asian girls, and now I'm really into redheads. <laughs> I'm talking about myself. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like personality. I'm not saying they're not all individuals. Of course, we're not, we're not insinuating that to anybody. Of course, they are. They're human beings. But there are certain things, like I said, like for me, like ordered, ordered. But then, as I became a more ordered person, I noticed that that became less and less prevalent. You know, yeah. I, actually, I didn't notice. I notice now, in yeah. looking back, I didn't notice then because I this framework wasn't anything I'd ever thought of. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, like they're like maybe for a while you were totally into girls that were funny and then, or like creative and like, oh, there was a period of time where I was really about girls that were creative. And then I got into, you know, like this and whatever. And it doesn't mean you don't carry those things that you pull, but there are definitely those phases for a lot of us. And I'm not saying for everyone because right. I'm asking you. Going back you know, to like the, when we first kind of start feeling like you're interested in finding another part, you know, like when you go from the goo girls are gross to oh, like kindergarten. You know, yeah. Um, That's when I went on my first date. When you start, <laughs> I was, I was serious. four. I was four. Serious. I was four. I took her to go see Ghostbusters. We held hands on a hike around a lake. <laughs> I was four. It was it was an Italian restaurant. I thought our hands had started to secrete peanut butter because I was like, "Why are they sticky?" Because they're sweating. Um. <laughs> anyways, I don't know who that person was. It was just some. We we'll just call her peanut butter hands. Peanut butter hands. Yeah. Um. But uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah. Um. I don't know. You didn't say it yet. I was saying it to myself. All right. Um. But I, you know. I quickly kind of found out I don't really have a type, you know. No, like I, I think that's a fiction. Yeah, I, I've never believed in that. Like, oh, you have a type? No, I don't have a type. My type is if I connect with you, if you connect with me, and it's like if we have that that bond. So I've never cared, you know. Like, if if I connect with you. And then I go to your house and you're a neat freak or you're just organized. 
or you know you're to this extreme or that or this it doesn't matter if that starts to get in the way and it's not able to be resolved then it's not that thing in particular that turns me off or makes things not work it's just hey yeah we we connect and we bond but we don't connect and bond all the way and then it's like because if you you know if you look at people that I've been involved with and they 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 you know kind of span all different types of because I'm not just any kind of one type of you know things that I like and are interested in and what I find to be acceptable and unacceptable sometimes and it, it goes all over because if you try to just lock down onto being just one type of thing that doesn't make any sense because right but we're not just talking about like physical stuff here we're talking about like emotional qualities yeah, or no, I'm not, personality yeah, no. qualities but personality i mean that if you go over to someone and they behave this way and this is the way they live and this is the way they exist that all has to do with behavior i'm not talking about just physical i'm not talking about like oh, okay yeah we just um get along well this way and do this and uh it, it, it's i i've had f- you know, relationships with people that are not creative, to people that are creative in different types than I am. People but were that, they clustered? That's my main question. Do you see clusters of them where you're like, oh, I did that for like a year? No. You know, like, sure, they might pop up in other places, those personality traits, but they did cluster anywhere. Mm. They're like, wow, that was like four people like that in a row. See, this is this is where... I do want to clarify something on type. I do think types exist, but they don't exist the way that people think. When right. we say, uh, like, oh, Tom has a type. No, there is no one type. But we do have types. We do have certain things. And what those are, they're just patterns. So, you know, for example, it is until I see, like, four women in, in like, a, there's four celebrities that I find attractive. And I was, and I saw, happen to see something where I saw all pictures of all four of them together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they all have this quality. You know, like they all have red hair. Yeah. They all have ears that stick out a little bit. They all have angular features. And, and these, are, these are all real things that I find attractive. And then when I saw them all together, I'm like, oh, I have a type. That's not the only type of woman that I'm attracted to. But that type, if somebody looks like that, I will be attracted to them. This is obviously just physical. But there is that. But that's what I'm saying. Like, if there's these, there are clusters where you can see patterns. When you look back, you don't see any patterns at all. I can't really say what, because, you know. Other than the one where you told me where the girl had the exact same name as the ex that you broke up with before. Well, that was just someone that, like, I <laughs> that was a pattern. And that was funny. Well, that wasn't an intent. Okay, yeah. I mean, I no, guess- no, not intentional at all, but still right. funny. Yeah, it was just like, oh wow, this girl's really cool. Hi, what's your name? Uh, nope. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you, I can't do this. You mildly could be described as looking like my ex, and you have the same name. Nope, <laughs> <laughs> too much. I could have looked past the other thing, but we're gonna think I'm a psychopath. <laughs> two out of two. That's too much, man. That's like speaking of friends when she dates that dude Russ. That oh, looks yeah, exactly Russ like, like Ross. Ross. Yeah, yeah. So. But, and you don't see, see it. That, you really don't see it. That's the, or <laughs> that's the beauty about like shows like that. You know, it's like soft shows. They're beautiful, they, but they touch on like 
it's like Seinfeld too. Like they just touch on the every day. Like everyone can relate to something. Exactly. In at least one episode every season. Yep. You know, and that's being conservative. Yep. Um, yeah, the good ones definitely deliver more frequently. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, for me, I guess, I guess there could be some like connect the dot dot type um, traits, but those were things that I, you know, you don't know about a person until afterwards. So it's like, there's no way that I could have known that like this person mm, was this. And then the next person I meet after I get to know them, then it turns out that they're like that. It's like, there's no way for me to, unless there's some sort of underlying kind of subconscious thing that could just like intuitively, like you can just tell. And it's like a personality trait that you can't, you know, it's like the, something they exude or something. Yeah, that like you, that, you know, like there's that, it's like a sound that you can't hear, but it's there. You know, it's like yeah, like like charm. Yeah, we don't usually detect that people are charming. We don't go, "Wow, they are charming." We just go, "Whoa, I really like them." You know, like there's certain things where I think that charm is usually that thing where it's like they they may really make me feel comfortable. What I think now, what I, ooh, what I'm wondering now is, is there a is there a a a, a, a type of charm or a type of like behavior that siren songs me in that right. that stems from a certain personality trait that I'm not aware of at first you know it's like and then this is where Freud would come in and be like your mother yeah <laughs> <laughs> like thank Which, you for not letting me have a boner for the next week <laughs> that's the thing is you know like I don't know like I I would just laugh at Freud and be like, because eh, it's not my mom. Yeah. Sorry, I'm like, my mom's not a redhead, so sorry, dude. You're shit out of luck. See, my mom is redhead, and that's not my thing. What's your mom <laughs> doing right now? No. <laughs> uh, my grandmother was a redhead, though, but I never saw her as a redhead because she was my grandmother. You know, she already had, you know, like she was older by the time I was born is what I mean by that. You know, like, you're saying like, I never saw her, you know, I never subjectified my grandmother because she was my mima and that was it. And, no, I mean that she didn't have red hair anymore by the time I was born. She she had uh, whatever color hair that, you know, like women color their hair when, when they start going white. Well, some women do. And uh, yeah, I didn't know until probably until I was already attracted to redheads. Well, so that, see, I, I think that's, that's something a, ingrained in you. Yeah, that's like genetic, like craving. <laughs> that's just something that you your grand, that's just something your granddaddy passed on down to you. Actually, you know what though? When I think about that, that's interesting because they do say that like um, there is a certain level of genetic attraction. Uh, obviously, not an expert on this, but what I remember is. Um, people who are tend to be attracted attract they're they're attracted by certain genetic traits, and what that is is actually their genetic code looking to fill in the pieces um because you know like to make the most viable offspring now whether that's true or not obviously I don't know, but when you, when I think about that like yeah, maybe that did from, come from my grandfather's side of the family because there was that gene that wants that gene. Yeah. You know, it craves the redhead gene because it doesn't have it. 
Mm, that's or right. it's getting, or in my case, I would have it because it was my grandmother. Uh, and the mitochondria is, is, stays consistent through generations, but maybe it's getting weaker, you know, because it's in redhead gene is not a dominant trait. Right. So maybe it's like, you need, this family needs an injection of redhead genes. Go yeah. out and get a redhead. Possible. That's- which means that like this genetic thing <laughs> is very similar to what we're talking about with beauty and what we crave. Well, I've never like really looked in at all onto like the 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 details behind like the whole pheromone thing. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. that I wonder if there and I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up later. Like I wonder if there is like a you know Something in that that pheromone fucking magic that uh, carries, you know, or that you you recognize when you fucking are around it, like mm-hmm. you know, ooh, there's a there's a sprinkle of redhead in there, you know, there's a sprinkle of this, there's yeah. a touch of that, you we know, don't it's know like, right? And, it, and it's not that you're getting it; it's just that your your inner kind of your makeup, you know your bits and bobs and your molecules inside are like start firing like, Ooh, Ooh, that's what we want. That's what we want. And like little magnets, like like that's where that excitement comes from. And then all you would do as a fucking stupid, big meat bag of bones, just start going, Oh, I want that. You know, like maybe that's where, why do I have an erection right now? Exactly. Maybe that's what stems an erection. Uh, This is some stuff, man. This is some deep stuff. No pun intended. Into some shit. All right. But I think it's it's completely possible. I mean, pheromones are crazy things. Like, I used to not believe in that shit at all. Well, you you know what musk is, right? My my whole world is musk, my friend. But you know what it is originally. It's it's all it's all fake now. But you know what original musk is, right? Uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, Musk is. Put your uh, mouth in front of the microphone here. I can't hear you. If I remember correctly, Musk um, was mostly just to do with it's a deer thing. It's the the, vaginal secretion of a deer in heat. Yeah. So think about that shit. It's like, I'm a dude. I need to put vagina secretion on me to attract women. Who's got that? Seems backwards, right? Who's got that that puss molasses? But it's it's actually just it's a the it's competition that drives that. That's the the idea. I don't know if Musk works. Everybody out there that's you know blown a blown not blown blown <laughs> almost said blown a load. Man. Now, now that, Freud. Now who's Freud uh, coming to blowing talk. their tops is what I was looking for. <laughs> I don't know if this shit works, but the theory from what I was told was if you smell like a female deer in heat, then other females will be attracted to you because they're like, oh, he was good enough. Speaking of genetics, he was good enough for her. Yeah. I need some of that too. Right. And they're not recognizing it as a another female deer. They're recognized as like, oh, God, I can smell the sex on him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's why I usually smear myself with avocado and chicken so women go "Mm, I need some of that right now man he really must have gave it to that Togo's (laughs) 
Is that is that a number four? Mm. I'm wet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Wait, I wish. I, I wish. I had remembered what the number was for the pastrami because that would have been a lot funnier. Because everybody, uh, Togo's is all about that pastrami sandwich. I, I believe the pastrami was before I look it up. Uh, number okay, number. My friend John McCollum would know the answer to this right now. I think nine is the meatball. Um, Do they even put the numbers on the website? They probably don't. So we're probably F U C T. No, no, no. Oh, they do. Yeah. Um. Mm. Oh, dude, I was right, and I didn't say it. What was it? Number nine. I just ah, oh, damn it! I said nine was the fucking meatball. What the hell's wrong with meatball six? Meatball six. Oh, how weird though, dude! I almost nailed it with the number four. I said turkey and avocado. That's number twenty-four. Yeah, the turkey four, salami four and cheddar is number four. Better. Yeah. Um, welcome to We Just Became a Food Podcast. <laughs> Everybody loves Togo's if they know what it is. And Togo's outside of California. Some people do, some people don't. They're only in California, right? Uh, maybe. Let's see. I got locations right here. It, it just makes you do a search. It that's doesn't help. Stupid. That's useless. Yeah. Togo's, fuck you. What if I put in zip code 12345? Then Where's my clothes? You would be <laughs> describing. You would be describing my luggage. Yeah, only California. Oh, okay. Well, because I mean, it, it's a San Jose. I put one, two, three, four, five, and it's like, well, the closest zip code is Los Angeles, which is nine zero zero seven one. So I'm guessing it's only in California. <laughs> Togo's is a sandwich place. It was originated in San Jose by some San Jose State students, and the in dorm room, right? The restaurant Togo's. If you put a space in between the O and the G, what do you have to go? Yeah, go to. Oh, the no <laughs> Togo's to go. That's mm, where it comes from. Yes, I see it now. Mm. You know what I like more than Togo's though? Lavella. Ike's is good. Ike's is, um, I feel like the sandwich is just too small for the price. Every time I go to Ike's and I pay fucking, it is really fucking like expensive. 15 fucking dollars. I'm done with that sandwich within at least three bites. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, there's just, oh. it tastes great. I get, yeah, the, I get the their menu. Gardener. We're going to, we're going to have a, a food conversation here right now, everybody. Yes, um, I I I get kind of the, I get this, I've tried a couple of the other ones that looked enticing to me turned out to be total flops. So I get the same one every time, and mm, so do I. And I don't normally do that, but the sandwich I get is makes me so happy that yeah, that's what I do. But the thing is, it is so good that it needs to be bigger because mm-hmm. it's it's and it's not just me being a fucking fat ass where it's like oh I just need to be slathered in this. No, it's like. I'm still hungry when I'm done eating it. And oh yeah, the one I don't know. Maybe I get do I get a bigger size or something because I am fucking stuffed when I eat the one I'm talking about. Maybe I just have heavier ingredients. It's I can't look at the menus because the menus are different for every location. Right. Yeah. 
which I have found though, like if you go and ask them like, Hey, can I get this one? And it's something that they don't have on their menu. They're like, Oh yeah, we'll get that. Like yeah. they know all of the fucking sandwiches, which is insane. Um, but, I like to get the Steve Jobs. Let's see. I'm not familiar with the Steve Jobs. The Steve Jobs is technically a vegetarian sandwich, okay, but it yeah. is uh, pesto. I'm guessing from the top of my head, not guessing, remembering different thing. Pesto, eggplant, parma, uh, not parmesan, breaded eggplant, and ranch dressing. But I That's... add bacon and avocado, and then I explode in my pants. Not from poop. Right. Um, I just looked up on Yelp, and it's literally just Steve Jobs sandwich, breaded eggplant, pesto, provolone, ranch. So, yeah. Damn, I'm good. Yeah. Um, from me. <laughs> Why am I so impressed with that? Damn, I'm so good. I remembered something I've eaten more than once. <laughs> <laughs> my memory is so awesome i didn't google what i eat hey i made fun of a i made a dumb person voice and i did not use a southern accent look at you let's see i'm branching out yeah. my my Diversifying. my dad comedy is expanding Ooh, that sandwich looks good i'm getting fucking well, hungry yes yeah, so, so i i'm in the med- middle of these did you not hear anything that we were talking about earlier? I don't want to hear you fucking eating shit. Well, you can just... You turn your microphone off if you're going to be eating anything. I don't want to hear it. Um, if I get that sandwich, I will eat it on the air. Well, I can't lie. Like if I, <sighs> I don't need to... I can, I can probably deal with your, your orgasm breaths of your post. Oh, that was like following. coughing up a loogie. Uh, it's not what it sounded like to me. Um, so my like sandwich go to is uh, it's called the Madison Bumgardner. Who, for anybody that's not a uh, Bay Area person or is aware yeah, of who he Madison doesn't trim Bum- hedges around your asshole. No, he's uh, uh, a baseball player, a pitcher, not a catcher. Um, and it's a, a light amount of which I don't always believe and support light amounts of certain things that are good. So, um, but it's a light amount of habanero, mm. American cheese, Ike's yellow barbecue sauce, pepper jack, thinly sliced ribeye steak. Mm. It's really it's good. not the one with onion rings in it, is it? No. But okay, I feel there's a picture like, of something that almost fit that description. But I feel like next time I go, I'm going to ask him if they can throw some onion rings in it. <clears throat> um, that might spruce up the, you know, kind of pack it in a little bit more. But mm. we're, if we're talking sandwiches, man. Sandwiches talking- is all about hitting all three levels. You got to have a low taste, something that's deep and fatty. Mm-hmm. You got to have something high, something that's sharp. And then you got to have a bridge. You gotta have something that brings those two things together. That's why, like, uh, like peppers, like uh, pepperoncinis or jalapenos, are good on sandwiches because they'll get that high. But the problem is nobody ever gets that bridge. You know, if you don't get that bridge between the avocado and the jalapeno, mm-hmm. that's where cheese comes in. Yeah. Um. So for me, my all-time favorite sandwich. Has always been and will always be, most likely. Um, 
it was my my first job outside of my family, you know, working for my dad. Um, and it was my favorite sandwich before that. And it was uh, got to the point where I went so much that I would just walk in and I knew everybody there. You know, you walk in and they just look at you at the end of the line. And they just like, oh, okay. And just like hold up one, two, just hold up their fingers. And I just motion two. I go up and stand up the side, bypass the line, get my sandwich. And um, I went there so much that they were just like, why don't you just work here? Like, all right, cool. <laughs> Does that mean I get to eat for free? Fuck yeah, dude. That's my lunch, man. Um, and it's a beautiful San Jose Willow Glen staple. Called, mm. La, called La Villa. Very close to my home. Oh, yes. Um, La Villa Delicatessen. Berticelli's La Villa Delicatessen. It's so tiny. It's, but it's, it, it's just right. It's as big as it needs to be. And, I mean... Unless you're trying to buy raviolis. And, I mean, if you're going on fucking, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas... <laughs> of course. You're fucked. Yeah, you're, you're an idiot. You should have done it before that. Buy it. Buy a shit ton... Oh, no, you didn't. A week before, and freeze the motherfuckers. Uh, for the local people, here's the real trick: go to Zanatos Cousins. That's why. Yeah, because they have the raviolis frozen in the freezer section all the time. Yeah. But so La Villa, their crowning jewel sandwich, it's called the Chris Combo. Chris is um, the son of, um, you know, the owner. I guess, yeah, it's a family, right? So, I mean, it's just technically, I guess, they're all the owners because it's a family business, but... The original owner, I guess. Founder. Oh. Founder, there's the word. Um, Actually, no, I think that uh, goes back to grandparents, a, doesn't it? Well, I, I believe they got it from some... Yeah, so they weren't the original spot there, but yeah, there's yeah, Chris Berticelli. His, his parents were the ones that ran it and owned it forever, and then he, you know, obviously grew up and became part of it. Now he's... Well. But the Chris Combo... I won't tell you what's in it because I was sworn to secrecy when I started working there. And they won't tell you what's in it. It's kittens. No, I could. And I won't tell you what's in the raviolis either. The meaty ones, but they're, it doesn't matter. Don't worry. It's good. But I know the secrets. Um, but yeah, you've got what you're talking about. You've got a good solid cheese. You've got uh, kind of contrasting styles of meats, you know? You got a nice kind of turkey white meat, and you got a little bit more of a of a Italian kind of a meat with some bite, and then the I think the crowning part of it is when it all gets thrown on the you know gets melted when it gets heated, and you get that like burnt cheese ends, and um, mm-hmm. the meat kind of has like a a crispy um, caramelized you know edge to it. A little bit of, you know, just enough shredded lettuce. A little bit of, you know... And it's the only time that I like mayonnaise. I, I hate mayonnaise. I, I love mayonnaise. I can't... I don't know if... Okay, I won't I say it. I don't like mayonnaise. I don't put mayonnaise on anything. I like, you know, like a chipotle mayo. I like like an aioli. You know, something that has purpose to it. But to me, mayonnaise is just, you know... It's, it's, it's useless and unnecessary. To me, it's sandwich lubrication. I don't know, man. I, I, I've never understood it. I've never needed it. But 
I didn't create the Chris combo, but Chris put, I mean, mayonnaise is just a part of it. And it's like, it works and I don't mind it and it doesn't bother me. And that's, I know it's all a psychological thing. Well, sometimes it's, I mean, that's why, oh, fuck, I wish I could remember what it was. There was, this is like probably 15 years ago. I watched something, it might even have been like an old episode of No Reservations, Bourdain's original, Mm -hmm. well, not original show. Yeah, I've been watching, yeah, I've been watching a bit of that lately. But he goes to to whoever the host is. I'm not positive it was him. It could have been Zimmern too. I'm not sure. Uh, but but they go to a restaurant and I want to say it might have been a Momofoku um, restaurant. Okay. But it doesn't matter. They don't allow you to change anything on the menu. So if you order something, it comes exactly the way it says. And if you don't want something in there, then you have to order something else. And like, if you're allergic to onions and the thing has onions in it, you have to order something else because mm. they won't change it because everything is meant to work together in perfect symmetry, especially in a higher end restaurant like that. Yeah. Like there wasn't just some fucking asshole in a fucking back room being like, yeah, just put this, this and this together, fucking send it out. Let's make some like, it's a, it's, it's art. It's food, you know? Right. And crafted you, that. And as, as a, as a higher end chef, can you imagine you're like, Okay, so I put this in, and the onion reacts with this, and, th- and that makes this work. And then yeah. somebody comes in and be like, I would like that, but I don't want onions. And instead of turkey, can I have salami? Because they're just looking at it as just, I just want food. Or is I this just want things like, I like collected I together. I want, yeah, it's like, okay, we'll go to fucking the store and buy your own fucking ingredients. Right. I, but what happens is they get that sandwich with the pieces that aren't meant to go together, and they go, it was all right. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Well, of course, you made your own shit. That does stars. The chef didn't design that. You yeah. asshole did. Yeah, <laughs> we used to get that all the time when I worked in a restaurant. Um, well, yeah, I mean that's it's kind of like with this sandwich. Like, I, I don't think I ever once had anybody order it without anything. You know, like, oh, can you not have that? It's like, nope, comes this way. That's how it is. Um, if you want something else, we're a full deli. I'll make you whatever the fuck you want. Um, but. Yeah, with I feel like people just don't, you know, a lot of times we're in a culture that, you know, has so much fast food and so much just kind of like things without soul and without heart um, that you go to a, a a restaurant where you have, and it's not like, you know, the, the, the chef and the mind behind the menu isn't in the forefront. You know, you're not walking in. It's the restaurant, unless it's called like you know, you know, Chef Michael's fucking you know, uh, Michael's Grundle Snatch. Yeah, exactly. Um, Don't eat like with a with a fucking story on the menu that you have to read through to be like, my name is Michael von Kanderschmidt, and I da 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 da, and I've gone to school for this, and I fucking each one of these um, uh, items on this menu was. Finally crafted over six years each by me. By the time I when I started when I was sixteen, and it wasn't until I was twelve that I was, you know, it's like or, I personally uh, skinned the beans. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like that kind of bullshit. Um, some ridiculous. The chicken's story. name was Frank. Right, I raised him from a from a wee chick, and then I personally extracted the egg from the fucking um the the, the chicken vag and whatever else. Um, 
That's a strange story. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> it sounds like you just sexually assaulted a chicken, but you know, what do I know? It was gentle. It was gentle. Um, but uh, yeah, no, so people don't really think about that a lot and just think about like, I'm just hungry. I want it my way. I have this and I have it. It's okay, cool. Look, if you're fucking, you know, if you're allergic to fucking peanuts, don't go on a tour at the Reese's factory. Just don't do it. Stay away from it. If you don't like something, don't go eat someplace where it has a lot of what you don't like. Because like you said, you don't understand. Like, just like, uh, um, you know, a painting is an art form that a man created or a person created. So I don't know why the fuck I said man. Um, somebody created specifically with all these different elements and um, images and symbols and everything's all connected and it all goes together to make one big thing. You know, like Willy Wonka said, you get all the pieces together, you got to put them all together, it comes out, boom, get a bar of chocolate. Right. You don't go, I would love, you know, this starry night painting, Mr. Van Gogh. It's so yeah. wonderful, but. Um, I could do it with a little less blue. Yeah. A little less blue. And can that, maybe it'd be a so sun, sad. sun instead of the moon. Blue makes me feel down and just mm, pouty face. I oh, want right. purple. <laughs> you know, all those sunflowers that you painted. Can How about more roses? You know, but can you make them look a little bit more life? Yours looked a little wilty. They didn't get any water. Anyway, that kind of bullshit. Don't do that. Go to a restaurant. If you see Just something, man like, up or woman up. Right. If it's, some, if it's something useless, like you can tell when a useless ingredient, or you can go like, okay, man, we're at a just, uh, you know, fucking Joe's Crab Shack. <sighs> the, the chef ain't back there, like. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Right, right. <laughs> they're they're if you're, they're line cooks. They're not chefs. Right. If you're at some place where it's like you can tell, you know, I mean, cloth napkins isn't always a fucking sign of this, but you know, you know, when you're at a place where the menu is, it, it where it's crafted. It's a, right. It's a crafted work. It's someone put time well, yeah, more than if you do that. Your life will be so much more enjoyable yeah. if you surrender to experiences instead of trying to craft experiences. But also, understanding the world is not all about you. Right. But what I mean is when you realize that, life becomes so much more enjoyable. You know, like, one of the things that's great about going places that play music, you know, if you go to an Italian restaurant and they're playing Italian music, why is that great? It's not great because you like Italian music. You don't go home and listen to Italian music. It's great because you don't have a choice. It's great because this was put on and it created a mood. And now you are subjected to it. And when you relax and you have fun, it becomes part of it. And that's what's really, we're trying to control everything because, you know, like this is over abundance of consumerism where I could, everything is made to order. That's why I have so much respect for like In N Out Burger. I'm like, fuck you, we have like three things. Eat it or don't. Yeah. You know, comes with cheese. This one, you know, like, and I feel like we get so wrapped up in like, this is what I like and this is what I don't. Like, motherfucker, you don't like onions, but maybe you like onions in this sandwich. 
Yeah. You don't know. Allergies are different, but... What? No, allergies, 100%. Keep that shit away. Like, Here's a great example. I'm going to describe a sandwich that will make most people listening want to vomit. My friend, who I mentioned earlier, John, told me about this sandwich, God, probably 20 years ago. And I'm a brave person. I will try anything food-wise for the most part. I don't want to eat insects. That's probably where my line is. Wait, say that one more time. I don't, I don't like the idea of ever having to eat insects. So that's probably my line. You know, like here, eat a, you know, whatever people eat, scorpion on a stick. No, thanks. Um, anyways, that's not this sandwich. This sandwich. So I think we used wheat bread when he made it. Take two pieces of wheat bread. Slices, that is. On the left side, put some chunky peanut butter. On the right side, put some mayonnaise. The mayonnaise that he used was Safola mayonnaise, which is not made from eggs. It's made from sunflower seeds and sunflower seed oil. So it's technically an aioli. Uh-huh. A different flavor. I would go with that one because actually I do think it works better than normal mayonnaise. And then in between, you put slices of uh, bread and butter pickles or sweet pickles instead of... You can do dill too. I like it with the sweeter one better. And uh, put those things together. Sounds disgusting. Bit into it. Don't know why. All those three things that mix together to make something that actually tastes really good. Haven't eaten in like 20 years, but holy shit. And that's why, like, when I go places, I surrender to the chef. I go, if I find one thing and something that I like, you know, like, oh, I, I feel like having beef. Uh, I feel like having uh, whatever, you know, whatever one ingredient. Okay. Whatever comes with that. Whatever you mix to go with that thing that appeals to me, I'm in. Because I don't... I, well, like I worked in catering and we had a, a chef. There was a salad and it was apples and beets, which sounded... Disgu- apples and beets with a citrus vinaigrette. Sounded disgusting. Probably one of the best salads I've ever had in my life. And if I had made that decision ahead of time and be like, hey, you don't eat that, then I never would have known. So that's my rant. <laughs> There's so I'm trying to find and it must be ouch. A let's see. It might be a special order thing, like some people know about it and get it. I was introduced to it recently. So have you ever been to spread? Yes. Okay, so I like spread. Yeah, so there's a new spread. Tell people who are listening what spread is, because most people even spread, spread is a um, uh, like a sandwich spot that also is like a craft beer um, hangout as well. So you get it's I think it's what do they call it sandwiches or uh, this is in Campbell as well. Yeah, there's a Campbell the original, one, there's a downtown San Jose one. Um, it's like you know. Uh, Salads, sandwiches, beer, wine, that kind of stuff. Um, it's a it's a hipster hangout. <sighs> I don't mind saying that. These are perfectly but, crafted sandwiches. Is the idea as well? Yeah. So it was uh, a BLT with peanut butter. Mm. Interesting. And. It, uh, but is there's that, also is it Fud Ruckers that has 
hamburgers that have peanut butter in them too? Honestly, never been to a Fuddruckers. I drive I mean, by one on I'm always curious. North. I see the I like the name. Love it. Fuddruckers. Beautiful. Yeah. I could say that all day. I could work there. Um but uh yeah, BLT with peanut butter and um but it has mustard on it as well. But it's like, you know, artisan mm-hmm. peanut butter. You know, it's like it's not like yellow mustard or like brown mustard. Like um uh what they call PBR mustard, which is that one? That's the one with the like the seeds in it, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. a brown mustard. Yeah, yeah, brownish. Not well, it's not brown French. Is... It's not French's, but it's like, you know, whole grain mustard. Yeah, the, that's that's, that's called a brown mustard. Yeah, well, it's actually not brown, but yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean. It's got the little brown grains. In I don't it. eat much mustard. All right, it's like gray poupons of brown mustard, even though it says it's gray. Yeah, little seeds inside. They're brown. Um, but so I was introduced to that, and um, for a guy that doesn't like mayo and mustard, really, um, I did find out a long time ago that I I don't mind like kind of, you know, high quality mustard. Like growing Mm -hmm. up, I hated just like nasty ass yellow mustard. It's like paint. Yeah. But then you're a hot dog. But then, you know, like having, you know, growing up and being over like friends' houses and like, you know, other people's parents, whatever, like you're making food for you. And you get introduced to things and it's like you really get a chance to try like maybe, you know, you know that you don't like something because you tried it at a family dinner at your house one time and you're just like, nope, mm-mm, I don't like it. Maybe try it in a different way. You know, like you're saying, maybe you don't like onions in a salad. Or maybe you grew up and the person that was cooking you that thing that you hate mm-hmm. just sucked at cooking it. Well, yeah. Well, like for, like a great example, when I was, uh, I think it was in like eighth grade, I went over to stay over this guy's house, you know, like as you do when you're a young kid and in the morning, his mom's like, oh, it's like lunchtime. She's like, would you like some lentils? My mom, my grandmother, they make wonderful lentils. Delicious. They're soft. And so I said, hell yes. This woman's lentils was like eating pebbles. Mm. I poured every sauce I could into these lentils to get it down. I put ketchup in there. and all. So that guy probably thinks lentils suck. He doesn't know. Or he likes those. You're like, yeah, lentils, lentils are good, I guess. I love pebbles. And then all of a sudden, he was like, you know. Other people's kidney stones. Like, what the shit is this? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, having the uh, and also too, I think having because um, you know a lot of my a majority of like my really really close friends um, are Greek, so getting you know exposure to a whole different cooking because like for me like my family like we're we're mutts you know we're, we I didn't grow up like I'm this you know like. I'm Italian or I'm fucking Irish. I'm, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Irish or I'm Dutch and I'm fucking uh, a little French and a little this, a little that. It's like all these different things. It's like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a white guy. I'm an American. I'm, I'm a mutt. I'm a mixture of a bunch of different fucking things. And I'm an explosion of flavor. You don't grow up like having, you just like, my mom would make, you know, pastas and uh, maybe a meatloaf or a chicken and do this and do that. And it's like, oh, lasagna or fucking um, uh, food, salmon and this, like different fish. And food. It's like, yeah, made food, made dinner. Like, oh, there's garlic bread with, you know, spaghettis and you have just 
all different types of things. Nothing's I'll pulled perfect. from that Joy of Cooking book that looks like it's red and white checkers. That's where that most is. of America learned how to cook. <laughs> Betty Crocker and fucking Julia Child, man. Yeah. Both those cookbooks are down. They're, they're in the kitchen. They're there. Mm. Got them. Um, but yeah, like uh, growing up, was, you know, I would go to my, you know, be at my friend's house. And it's like, yeah, food pops up. And it's like if I was like with my other mutt white friends' houses, like, yeah, we just end up eating the same kind of similar stuff. But if I'm with, you know, any of my friends that kind of their family and everything was like rooted in like a type of cooking and a, and like a culture and a heritage, um, I started getting kind of exposed to certain things that I either didn't think I liked or didn't know I liked because it hadn't been kind of prepared in this way. Um, and kind of like, That's what exposure is about. Yeah, exposure is about breaking out of what you think is possible. Right. And you widen your pen. And also you, you learn, I really don't like that because I've had it multiple ways every time, just as bad. Right. You know, like... Like me with green bell peppers. For the most part, no thanks. Love them. Me? All Every once in a while, though, that thro- I had, you know, they're thrown into something, they're cooked the right way. I'm like, those were good. Yeah. Not going to crack into one like an apple, ever. Oh, God. I can do that. Love that. Um, all right. Let's let's get to our questions for next week. All right. We've uh, been talking about food. I'm fucking starving now. Hey, and I don't have to pee. Oh, I have a sandwich in the fridge. Perfect. I got nothing. I had wings stop for lunch, and I had mm. James National Wing Day. I don't know if you know that. Well, I obviously didn't because I'd be eating wings. Right. So, uh, if you ordered that wing stop, beautiful thing about it, you got five free wings. That's so. I ordered a ten piece plus an extra five. That's two and a half flightless birds out there. Yeah, I don't know if the boneless wings really come from chickens, though. <laughs> I've never seen... It's like the spam of chicken. Actually, have you ever seen those chickens with the really massive fucking... They have like... Okay, you know Big Bird, right? Yeah. Remember his legs? Mm-hmm. His non-feathered parts of his legs? Yeah. Imagine if his body wasn't in proportion to those legs. Imagine he had like... A normal chicken body. I'll post a picture on Instagram of these chickens. I believe I, I'm almost positive that's where chicken nuggets come from. From these fucking from these from, these, from these birds. From, from no, from these weird elephant titus legged fucking oh, no. No, chick- chicken nuggets. They come from the fucking fattened beakless guys. No, I'm pretty sure they come with these ones. The ones that roll around like fucking slugs because they have no appendages so they can't hurt each other. And they're stuffed with antibiotics and fucking fluid. Anyways, if you were hungry for chicken before, I bet you are now. Uh, What's your question for me? Do you have one? I have one prepared for you. All right, what's yours? What's the weirdest thing that you love to eat? Mm. I have... I'm almost tempted to ask you the same, but we're, I know we're going to talk about it, so I can't. So that just it flips. always flips around, anyways. Yeah, exactly. Um, ooh, I'm already starting to think about that one. Um, okay. While you're thinking, um, what was, was uh, no? Just, it, since we're talking about food, um, 
what was or if was there anything that like for you growing up was like the like you'd throw a fit if like your parents tried to have you eat it mm. that you then ended up loving later on. Okay. You know what I mean? Like if as you grew yeah, up... What one out, thing out, did I hate? One, what's eating? the one thing that you were like, you'd have like a... That I later loved. Snotty nose, screaming, tear in the eye, down on the ground, fist pounding, feet kicking, tantrum. I'm not going to eat it. Just no, this is terrible. I'm going to die. This sucks. And then now you're like, I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. I'm going to eat it all day. Okay, guys, tune in next week for the answers to those questions and a whole lot more. Um, If you guys are listening on Overcast right now and you've made it this far in the episode, hit the damn star. Yeah, we love you. (laughs) Love you. If you've made it two hours and you made it through that fucking sandwich conversation, I think we earned a star. Uh, okay. And if you want to follow me on the Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash holy fool productions. Uh, this week I put out an episode of that thing I've been talking about for a while, Deboxed, where I take an item and, uh, I tell the story behind it. Uh, Tom, where can they find you on Patreon? Patreon, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash, uh, Tom Woodrum. Woodrum. Very simple. Wood, like wood. Rum, like the liquor. Like pirates love him. Yep. And on Instagram? Instagram, I am sir.beardo. Sir, period, beardo. Sir, punctuation, not a comma, but a period, beardo. Sir, little dead fly, beardo. Right. You know those little red marks you see on your kitchen ceiling? You know what those are? That's little fly throw-ups. Yeah. Go eat something now. Uh, you guys can follow Lamb on Patreon too. Patreon.com forward slash The Vacant Room. Or if you don't want to remember all these links, you can always just click the thing that says support. Random badassery in the show notes. It'll take you to the landing page with all the social media links, all the Patreon links, and a place to rate and review the show on iTunes, which I'm going to ask you to do again right now. And Lamb on Instagram is The Vacant Room. And the show, Instagram, random badassery. Same thing on Twitter. Good place to go for random shit that we're posting, like review or no, reviews, recommendations, stuff we're probably going to talk about, stuff we already talked about. But more importantly, the stuff that anything that enhances the audio. You know, if you guys need to see something, we think you need to see something, it's going to be there. And uh, you can also DM us questions. If you have questions you want uh, me, Tom, Lamb, to answer, we might use them in an episode. So leave us a DM. And uh, I think that's everything that I need to sling at your faces right now. I think, yeah, face slinging. Yeah, here we go. That's the name of it. That's a new podcast, Face Slinging with Tom and Chad. Slinging faces. All right. uh, Bye bye, babies. Bye. Oh!